Hello. Welcome back, everyone, to This Is Not a History Lecture. I threw myself off there because my sound on my computer was muted. Okay, I was like, what's wh- wrong? I know. You said you'd sound checked, and I hadn't heard anything through my headphones, and I was like, mm, ha- I'm going to trust have you. We? Well, of course. So my computer does this thing where it'll just, the sound will stop working randomly for no reason. Just no reason at all. And uh, I had a meeting last Monday, and of course it didn't work then. Mm. And so I was like, it was a Zoom meeting, so I was like, I'll call in. <laughs> Sounds about right. <laughs> and so I had to like have my phone, and the, it was fine after that, but I was like, oh my God. And of course it was for my independent study class, so it was the executive director of whatever, and I was like, oh, this is this is great. Nice. Yeah. He was a really nice guy, though, so. But anyway, how have you been, Kat? Good. Um, Gotten a lot of work done in the last couple days. Um, I had the... I taught at the co-op this Friday. Nice. And it was very fun. There was a, um, I was like dressed in my full, like, you know. Garb. Garb. Yeah. My historic garb. Uh-huh. And, um, the kids, I was teaching fourth through seventh grade. And I was like, yeah, I can handle that. And as I left, I would pass what I'm guessing is like the late middle school, early high schoolers mm-hmm. in the hallway. And one of them was carrying a life-size Dwayne the Rock Johnson cutout. Oh, you mean like mine? Kind of, yeah. But like, he was like, it was like folded up and I saw it and walking past, I just looked at this kid, never saw him before in my life and I couldn't stop myself. I was like, it's about drive. It's about power. We stay hungry. We devour. Put in the work, put in the hours and take what's ours. And I just said it and kept walking. And I hear, oh my God, from behind me. And I turn around and this kid, I have never seen someone so shocked in their life. Like I, I was like, they saw a ghost. Off the, literally, I was like, I don't know what you expected. And I was like, I'm cool. And were you wearing the, the white dress? I was wearing the brown skirt and the white shirt. Oh, okay. I was going to say, because if you were wearing the white dress, then... It's very ghosty. It would be like, hello. Hello. <laughs> I just really don't think they expected it at all, because he like sprinted off the the, ha- the other end of the hallway going, oh my God, guys, guys. And I was like, okay, have fun. Middle schoolers get so excited about stuff like that. It's like, thanks. very powerful. You don't understand that I'm really lame. <laughs> Well, I was like, thank you, TikTok, for making me relatable to children still. There you go. There you go. So, yeah, but that went well, and I've had some stuff go on this week with class and everything that I'm so ready to be done, and I'm mm-hmm. so close to being done. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. One more week. We got One this. How about you? Well, um, I looked out today. So, um, the historic organization that Kat and I both work for is having a big event, and I got put in... Um, <clears throat> A volunteer spot while I was working today, but I was put with a volunteer and he (laughs) was the person who guest lectured in our class who knows all about the building that I have a project for. Oh, you had class with, oh, you volunteered with. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. I was like, hey, so I actually have a project about that building that you uh, completely did the entire rehabilitation and Mm -hmm. reparation, not reparations, (laughs) (laughs) repairs on. Can I can I ask you a few questions? So I literally opened up my notes app. Like, hi, can I? Um, he was like, yeah, of course. What do you want to know? And he literally, he's. Oh, he's so nice. We've got that one, you know, that one professor that knows everything about material culture and buildings. Uh-huh. He's that, but literally with like yeah. buildings from our home, from our town. Yeah. Like yeah. it's insane. I've talked to him before and I just sit there in awe and I'm like, okay. Oh, he knows so much. He could just rattle off. He was yeah. like, he was like, well, actually before you tell me anything, let me just tell you what I know about the building. And he just went off and, I and was you're like, like, oh, thank God. Let me write this down. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that was, that was very helpful. Um, I still have some gaps to fill in the research but it's a really good start yeah 
Um, but so that was good. I've almost finished that one. I'm like a paragraph away from that project, but yeah. I've got the independent I, study paper. I've got to. Yeah, I'm pretty much done too. I just need to go take pictures and write up the mm. research part. So yeah. I apologize um, if y'all hear me stirring my tea. My allergies are really bad. How dare you have allergies? But other than that, I feel like I have been very busy the last couple of weeks. So, and it doesn't end until no. Friday. Then so. I'll be Thursday for me. Well, yeah, for you too. Well, Friday I have a training at 8.30 in the morning. Oh, that's right. You still have work. So, um, but it'll be good. It'll be good. We're going to get through it one day at a time really cool news i haven't had a chance to tell you about this so uh yes is that a good is that a good thing or a bad thing yeah no oh, okay no we just haven't seen each other a lot lately. okay i was like in the uh, last week I, I, okay <laughs> yes continue so my thesis as i've discussed on here and as you know cat is about dea and through the process we realize like there's no demographic stuff anywhere yeah. And so we're like, why aren't museum associations like Texas Association of Museums or the American Alliance of Museums taking like really basic demographic questions mm-hmm. from their members when they become members? You yeah. know, like, why is that not happening? Because that would be an easy way. Like, it wouldn't be comprehensive because not everyone is a member. Right. But it would be a really easy way to have some sort of data about the museum field. Mm-hmm. Um, and I pointed out to my advisor and she's like, yeah, I don't know. Um, but... What she does know, who she does know, I should say, is the president of the Texas Association of Museums. So she went over to him and she was like, hey, Alex, um, we have this idea. Would you be interested in partnering with this university to do this? And he said, yeah. So I'll shoot, man. I'm working with my advisor and um, a professor, our collections professor that we had in the past. Oh, to make a comprehensive, well, not a comprehensive, but a demographic survey of Texas museum professionals. The collections one. Mm-hmm. That surprised me, too. Yeah, so. Oh, well, yeah. nice. Yeah. That's so awesome. That's really cool, and um, we're hoping to be, like, an official presenter at TAM next year. Nice. So not, like, a student presentation, but, like, a real, a real yeah, like, big, big girl presentation. Yes. <laughs> um, and potentially publishing an article jeez so, okay go off sis really exciting that's um, huge yeah so I, I was like hey dr advisor i would be interested <laughs> in participating in that even though i might not know where i'm gonna be like i'll come back to yeah. do those things you know and she's like oh really she's like i th- i yeah we'd love to have you especially because your research was the thing that like yeah started this so that's really cool. That's fantastic. Yeah. And like a very rare opportunity. I know. I know. And I just looked into it. So I'm very grateful. And so hopefully it all works out. Um, the TAM, uh, what's it called? Conference? No. The, where you have to submit your proposals. Proposals. Yeah. Yes. Those are due um, next week. Yeah, they are. <laughs> so, but they'll they usually do like a few extensions. Yeah, and I I dealt with that last year. Yeah, so it was, yeah. yeah, you know how that went. So, mm-hmm. yep. So, um, yeah. So that'll be really cool. So I'm looking forward to doing nice. that and also finishing my thesis. But yeah, I was gonna say you know I gotta do that first. Both and or. <laughs> my advisor was like, "Be sure that you're still focusing on your thesis." I was like, "Yes, doctor advisor, I understand." So anyway, that's well, a congrats. That's huge. Thank you. I'm pretty excited. In other news, I'm on season five of Peaky Blinders. Yes. 
So he's going through his like angst. Yes, his, he's it's very angsty. It's this very season. um very Thomas Shelby. Very, we're five years after season four. You missed it. So I um last week after we ended the podcast, I was like, Kaylee, what exact episode exactly are you on? And she was like, this one. And I was like, okay. And so I like pulled it up. I was like. You literally stopped <laughs> right 30 before. seconds before I needed her to get to that scene. And I literally was like, sit your butt down. We're watching it together. It's like one of the most dramatic parts of the show, arguably, at least. To and Kaylee literally stopped character. it. It was and like I five stopped. minutes from the end. 30 minutes from 30 seconds, 30 seconds from the actual from like the happening. Part. Like, I was like, Kaylee, sit down. You're watching it. <laughs> it's like, I'm going to be here while you watch this. Oh, man. That was hilarious. And I just was like. Okay, I gotta go record. Beep. Yeah, and I was like, you're so close. Because <laughs> it's like, you really have no way of knowing. No, it, that there's no happen. hint it's coming. That, that's one of the good things about that show. You yes, never, you literally cannot predict say, anything that happens in Peaky Blinders ever. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, too, because there's only, what, six episodes a season, mm-hmm. um, there's not a lot of room for filler. So, like, every episode, something important happens. Yeah. And while. I do appreciate a good filler episode because they're fun and it's good for character development and everything like that. Um, it is kind of fun when you can, you like rely on, yeah. Okay. Something dramatic's going to happen. <laughs> like what's going to happen. And it yeah. did. Um, but anyway, so anything else to no, update us on? No. Hit us. Hit it. Kayla's so going to start are, off today. We're mixing things up here. Kat is doing her first ever two-parter. It was completely unintentional and unplanned, so that means that I go second so that I can go first next week. Yep. So today is episode 65, which is crazy. Um, We have both decided to do topics that are the misuse of chemicals Mm -hmm. in various ways. So Kat has a fun one, but I'll wait till we get to her part. Um, Well, I say fun. It's probably it's not terrible. fun at all. It's, it's like the worst tragic. thing ever. Yeah. yeah. Um, I do have a little bit more of a fun one. So. Yeah. That's fair. Today, I was originally going to do the use of arsenic in Victorian just everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I as I got into the research, I kind of also got a little carried away, except there's not as much to get carried away with in this topic than there. is cats. Um, so I just kind of landed on a history of the use of arsenic. Just Nice. Total. Okay, I'm ready. So, are we ready? I'm born ready. All right, so we are going to be talking about arsenic. Like, I'm repeating myself a million times right now. <clears throat> so, throughout history, poisoning and poisons have always kind of been a thing. Um, it does depend on the time and place where you are. Ancient Greek, Greek, Greece, um... <laughs> I'm trying to stir my tea without touching the sides of my cup. You're so focused on like, and then you did it anyway. Stop! I'm trying so hard. Um, Real fast. Hold on. So okay, no, you're good. So hemlock was really big in ancient Greece, um, and Mm -hmm. you can see that with Socrates Mm -hmm. because he dies Mm -hmm. by ingesting hemlock. So spoilers on that. (laughs) Socrates dead. You've had a while to watch that movie. (laughs) Yeah, read the trial and death of Socrates. Literally, it's a whole book, guys. so hemlock was big there, but basically from the Romans onward, at least in the Europe kind of Western world, arsenic was known as kind of the king of poisons. Um, it was really favored because it comes in the form of a white powder and it's essentially tasteless and odorless, which makes it real easy to poison people with. 
Um, because you can just slip it into their stuff. Another thing that makes arsenic really, really appealing is that its um, symptoms, arsenic poisoning symptoms, are indistinguishable against mm-hmm. actual sicknesses. Specifically, consumption was a big one that um, it was like really, really similar to, but there's almost no way to tell. And you can either, you can poison someone in two ways. <laughs> I, okay. In theory, you can poison someone with yeah. two ways. You can do a big dose all at once, or you can do small quantities over a period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, if you do a big dose all at once, it won't matter if someone's like, hey, what's wrong with you? Because I'll be dead. Yeah. That's what's <laughs> wrong with them. Um, but if you choose like the stealthier approach, then people will just probably think you're falling ill of consumption or a similar disease and not question it too much mm-hmm. because there's just no way of testing or knowing, um, especially as early as this. So, um, even though we know it's existed since as early as the 4th century BCE, um, the official person who's titled with or accredited with discovery of the element of arsenic, it's, it's not an element, but of the compound of arsenic is the German well, German scholar Albertus Magnus. Um, who discovered it in around 1250. So much after we know it was first started to be used, but I guess if we have to make it official, it's Mm -hmm. him. Um, And it's, you know, it goes back and forth. There's, there's a guy named Paracelsus who was a physician alchemist in the late middle ages, who is often called the father of modern toxicology, who is maybe also accredited with the discovery of arsenic, but Whoever you ask, it doesn't matter because it was found way before. <laughs> so, yeah. um, so during the 4th century BC, Romans used a lot of poison in politics. They also murdered a lot in yeah. politics just in general. So arsenic was a really handy tool um, because no one could prove it, right? Yeah. <laughs> and unless you have the whole Senate on your side. <laughs> Beware the quick, Ides of Mars. Quick reference to episode 64. Whoop. There you go. <laughs> um, so um, you're you're going to have to do it more undercover. The same period, um, a conspiracy was actually uncovered that involved a group of women who were scheming to poison men whose deaths would profit them. In 82 BC. <laughs> I'm not mad. Um, this was coming kind of an epidemic of sorts. Um, and so they had to issue the first law that we know of against poisoning specifically because women kept <laughs> poisoning men, <laughs> taking their money, um, which is a theme that'll come up again. So keep okay. your ears out. That's a theme in these. Um, I thought you were going to say they were like politicians and the men had been like not doing oh, well, their jobs. They're not going to, they're not going to write a law against poisoning in politics because they want to keep poisoning That's people. True. But if women start killing men and taking all their money... I guess you got to panic. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, the same kind of relationship between poison poisoning people and politics were also intertwined, specifically in the Renaissance period, with the none other than the Gorgias themselves, the Italian family. Um, so, there are lots of records from the city councils of Florence during this period that contain detailed testimony that names victims, prices and contracts completes with dates that transactions like, like hitman tracks. Like, yeah. That of poisoning like records, like, Dang. no, this person did it. This is how much I paid. This was the date. This is when I paid them. Like nice. <laughs> detailed records. 
Um, among the most famous of these poisoners was a woman named Tafana, who made arsenic-laced cosmetics in the Renaissance um, and instructed women on their use. Another woman who was called Hieromnia Spara organized group instruction. <laughs> I'm sorry. This is not funny. Now you got to tell me. Organized a group where she instructed them um, on the homic- homicidal uses of arsenic for a number of young married women who want to um, better their station by becoming young unmarried women. <laughs> Thank you for how you put that. That was, <laughs> I was like crying. I knew about the Aqua Tafana stuff because when I'm... One of the first times I made that joke on TikTok about killing my husband, everyone was like, oh, who's Tafana? And I knew who Tafana was, but right. I didn't like, so yeah. I went in like a deep dive and I was like, oh, yeah, no, this is a, this, this comes up a lot. The women, yeah. when you think about it, it makes sense because in low doses, no one can tell. And so right. who's putting dinner on the table every night? Exactly. And who probably hates living with some brutal, nasty man? Exactly. So. Or rude young man. Who's Could be a young man. Sometimes. Could be a nasty Not young a man. great person Mm -hmm. and women need to escape that situation absolutely um and this is kind of the first time we see arsenic use that we know of at least in cosmetics with tafana however this continues throughout the centuries with the latest um dating cosmetic that tested positive for containing arsenic being found in the 1920s so (laughs) (laughs) so Long history of a valiant. <laughs> I shouldn't say that. You gotta stop making jokes about. I know what people. you're saying, but I do also think that people were just putting it in cosmetics because they just put it in literally everything. Yeah, well, I was gonna say. I mean, Queen Elizabeth. They always say that her makeup may have like like it leached oh, yeah. into her skin so bad because it was literally toxic. Uh-huh. Like chemicals and um, makeup is not a new thing. Yeah. So the we will the, also discuss that in my section. Oh. Mm, a little bit of what's almost like we did it on purpose huh a themed episode <laughs> mm-hmm. um so going back to the borgias so pope alexander the sixth and his son cesar and most think as well um that his cesar's half-sister lucretia um we're all kind of involved with the Borgias and then this is conspiracy to like murder a lot of people in politics and religion because religion was politics in Italy at the Mm -hmm. time. Um, They're um, they were well known that there it's well known that their wine contained arsenic, the Borgias wine. And so when they would host these big fancy dinners, like, with the Pope, <laughs> oh, um, oh, a lot of people died, and there are their argument for it was like, oh well, arsenic improves the quality of wine. <laughs> like, I don't think that's, that's correct. Poison. <laughs> um, so the Borgias had said that they made certain that their guest, whoever their target was at the time, consumed as much wine as um as possible imagine literally showing up to some dinner party and being like okay it's either me or this dude like let's see it's like russian roulette the minute you step into their house yep so um (laughs) sorry i love my face so they would you know they would oh no you drank too much wine oh you're dying oh no trash guess what i now own all of your property by church law (laughs) (laughs) So they just 
took it. (laughs) And they would do this over and over again, so much so that they soon numbered among the wealthiest and most powerful families in all of Italy. Um, and yourself, do not go to the Borges party if you own don't, land. Don't drink the wine or the Kool-Aid. <laughs> don't, you did Waco last week. Don't you take the wine. You can't do that. You can't say that, Kaylee. <laughs> don't drink the wine in Italy and don't drink the Kool-Aid in Jonestown. <laughs> oh, dear. And don't talk to the ATF if you're anywhere near Waco, Texas. <laughs> yeah. Or the postman. He'll, or the, he'll blab or on you. UPS. <laughs> So um, they gained like like significant wealth of this, and Lucretia, the half sister I mentioned earlier, she had um, she helped the family along because she had a very interesting series of three husbands oh. where she just um, they just died. They just died, and then the next one was richer because she was richer, mm. and then he died. And then all that money makes her richer. So mm-hmm. she can marry a richer man. Mm-hmm. And then so she's helping the family along. And so, like, kind of proficient was this. I've never heard this phrase before, but apparently it's a well known one. It's thought to be the origin of the phrase, the gift of the Borgias. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've, I've never that. heard that because it's kind of like a tongue in cheek, like, yeah. Yeah, don't drink their wine. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know, like, anything about the Borgias, actually. I've just heard that phrase them, and kind of, like, knew the implantation. Impl- what was the word? The. Implications. Implications of it. Thank you. Them and the other big Italian family. Who were they? The Medici's. Medici's. They're so confusing. I. Yeah, we gotta do that. It's an episode. I know. You can take one. I'll take the other. Uh, (laughs) We'll talk about that later. (laughs) Yeah. Um. Other famous arsenic poisoning cases. Um. Or that people think that they might have been famous poisoning cases. Um. One big one. Was. God, I lost my place again. A big, big thought is that Napoleon actually died from arsenic poisoning. I've heard that. Mm-hmm. I hadn't heard it either, but I... I've always thought it was, like, one of those quack theories. Like, that was, like, yeah. someone came up with it because they didn't want to admit that Napoleon could yeah. actually die. Like, someone had yeah. to do it. It had to be, like, yeah. a martyrdom kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But, like... Nevertheless, it survived, like, yeah. 200 years now that he, someone might have poisoned him with arsenic. Yeah. Um, Another person that was thought to have been poisoned which i was going to tell you um about this have you heard of charles francis hall the name sounds familiar but i couldn't he was an arctic explorer explorer but apparently he was like a tyrant and people hated him but he had a whole crew that he took to explore the arctic what's the name and since you're our arctic exploration expert what's the name again Charles. charles francis hall um but he was thought to have been poisoned by arsenic by someone on his crew Maybe um, that's why I've seen his name when I'm doing my other research because I don't I don't know who that is, but I recognize like the yeah, name. Yeah, there was um, a United States ambassador to Italy named Claire Blue Claire Booth Luce. Um, she often, obviously, was the ambassador to Italy, so she was often there, and she actually became sick and was a victim of arsenic poisoning because the paint from the embassy dining room ceiling kept flaking off and falling into the meal she was eating there. I feel like that's a <laughs> very weak excuse. Um, so either she was being poisoned or she just had a crappy job and she deserved I better benefits. I don't know that anyone's ceiling, because then anyone else in the dining room should have died with her. Right, exactly. Like, that's suspicious. Mm-hmm. But that's what I saw. That was what the article said. There was one French woman who... Very openly hated her husband and very obviously 
did the old cyan or not cyan arsenic in the dinner. Oh no, you're sick. Oh no, you're dead thing. Um, <laughs> and it became such a famous case that it reached the British press who then after that, for at least a couple months referred to other people doing the same thing. So other people using arsenic as a poisoning them or, or as a poison, um, called it lafarging someone, which was her last name, Madame Lafarge. Hmm. So she was so big that she got she got a term named after her. I mean, go big or go home. <laughs> um, there was a woman who. Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. So as recently as 1998, arsenic was implicated in the sensational mass poisoning in Japan, which yes. murdered four people and hospitalized 40. Um, it had been added to pots of cured bees, which was served at a village festival, which took out a lot of people. I don't know why I always heard about that, but I've heard of that like yeah. so many times. I hadn't heard of that, but I went, I double checked and made sure that arsenic wasn't in the Tylenol murder. That was cyanide, That's right? cyanide. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I was like, oh, I'm not doing cyanide. Just one poison today, mm-hmm. please. Um, one case was a woman named Mary Ann Cotton. Because she figured out, she was probably one of the first ones to figure out that this new fancy industry that they called life insurance that developed in the 1800s. It's hmm. very lucrative if you do yes, it right. It is. So Marianne went on to murder her mother, three husbands, a fiance, and many of her 15 children and stepchildren. Is she the all one that, for the insurance payouts. I was say, is she the one that had the boarding house? I didn't see anything about okay. that with her. I, um, there's a woman. It may have been her, but I remember reading about like a serial killer that like killed all of her children for the insurance money. It might and be then her. like turned to like their house into a boarding facility and then started killing like, oh, like I they started taking see. in children from unwed mothers and like started killing. It could be this. It could be totally different. It could be totally. But or that name like sounds a, familiar. It could be a sensationalized like version yeah. of her story but she wasn't caught until 1873 when they could finally prove that she had been poisoning these people because they didn't have tests until that late to like test for arsenic and substances so it might have been an episode on that's why we drink let me google it do you want to google it i'll google it yeah okay, so yeah. you keep going it's just <laughs> that name really struck me maybe so mary hall right mary ann cotton mary ann cotton okay yeah um, the articles I saw about her were just, I mean, she was mentioned in a lot of articles about the arsenic as a whole. So I didn't do like a deep dive into her gotcha. specifically. So I could be wrong, but I don't know. Sorry. No, continue. I derailed <laughs> you badly. Um, but of course today, the main topic of today's show is not the intentional use of arsenic as a poison, but instead the accidental use of arsenic, which did also poison people, but not on purpose. So... Compounds like arsenic are very common in mineral ores and coal, um, and both of these were essential to the new emerging field, which was the Industrial Revolution as a whole. So smelting and burning, the smelting and burning aspects of the Industrial Revolution freed the arsenic when combined with oxygen to produce arsenious acid or white arsenic. So the formula for that is AS2O3, which is known as arsenic trioxide. Is it her? It's stuff you missed in history class, not, and that's why you drink. That's why I knew it. Okay, okay. Yeah. I don't listen to that one. So go listen to that episode because apparently I missed out on Juicy Story when Mm -hmm. I was doing this research. I made it to five pages too. I I think they're part of the podcast network. Are they? Uh, No, 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 no. no. 
sorry because i subscribe all to like podcast and um all podcast shows have, are like very similar yeah no um they're a different one but i've been listening to them since they since i started listening to the podcast people mm, but yeah, yeah they've they've got some really cool stuff by they the do. way yeah because no. they, they feature some like important still if you're like in school trying to learn history they do some more like centered history stuff yes. with the universal view but still like stuff no, you've I've, missed i've listened to them a lot when i've done research for past episodes yeah they um, they got some good stuff but yes yeah. they have a marianne cotton episode okay cool well go check that one out because i will have to do it as well um so because of this that meant by the early 1800s the byproduct of the emerging industry world as a whole made arsenic extremely cheap and extremely available they quickly they already understood its use as a poison um so it was became popular as a form of rat poison and you could mm-hmm. go down to the drugstore and buy it because they did not have any sort of regulations on this at all eventually they did because <laughs> of this but yep exactly um however because arsenic came in the form of a white powder it was often confused for flour or sugar or other baking things which caused a lot of problems as i'll talk a little bit about later um even though they like knew what really confused me about all of this is like they knew this was a poison they knew it was a poison Mm -hmm. they knew it had been killing people for centuries Mm -hmm. they knew it had been killing rats for centuries Mm -hmm. but they still put it in literally everything yes wallpaper beer wine sweets wrapping paper painted toys sheep dip Whatever that is. <laughs> Insecticides. Clothing, See, I could understand. Dead bodies. Stuffed animals. Hat. Ornaments. Coal. And candies. Well, and like... candles. <laughs> and <laughs> medicine. <laughs> Everything. Ingesting it, I could see people from, like, that time thinking, as long as we're not ingesting it, it's okay. Exactly. But, like... To put it... Put it in, like, wine and it was beer. In like, in candy. your makeup and stuff. And candy. Yeah. It was like, in candy. Yeah. For, like, the green coloring in candy. I'm, I almost hope that they weren't that oblivious and that, like, maybe the manufacturers just didn't tell them that the blue dye or the green dyes and, like, wallpaper and stuff had arsenic. Oh, no, no. They knew. Hmm, then they might have just been stupid. They, or maybe they convinced they them. They downplayed how dangerous it was. I was going to say. But everyone knew it was in everything. Well, that's the thing. Downplaying it, like, that's, we see that nowadays a lot. Like, people downplaying, like, like Mountain Dew. That, like, running joke that Mountain Dew's, like, um, it's not available in certain yeah. countries because it's, yeah. like, literally just chemicals. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, people in America still drink it all the time. It's mm-hmm. bad for you. Like, it's proven to be terrible for you. And it's, like, we still do it. So I can't really say much about Victorians and mm-hmm. their stuff. They might have just thought in moderation it wouldn't be so bad. Yep. So it was also her used as um, herbicides and wood preservatives and found its way into a lot of agricultural-based stuff. It's still kind of used in agriculture. Some places do still use it as a pesticide, but it was used as a pesticide in the U.S. until 2003 when it was banned. Um, a form of arsenic was. I would but, hope so. Yeah. I'm like, damn, 2003? 2003. We were alive. I know. <laughs> um, I was watching a YouTube video about it, and the lady who made the video was like, Oh, so if you've been to a playground, be sure to wash your hands because it might still be there. Um, um, and she's like, if you remember, some of the wood on the playground would sometimes be kind of green, green tinted. And I do remember that. Oh and I God. always remember thinking like, why is this this way? That's terrifying. I know. I oh know. <laughs> I know. I was like, oh, my God. Americans really be trying to kill each other all the time. <laughs> 
Um, so yeah, so it's just, it's literally, literally in everything. Um, speaking of consumption in the mid 1800s, mountaineers of central Austria made like intentionally consumed arsenic preparations. That's what the word in the article was. So I guess something, something that they could eat with arsenic in it once or twice a week as a quote, general stimulant. I guess it just, I mean, at that point people were still taking like mess thinking it was a stimulant. Yeah, that's so, true. I mean, people still do that. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it is a stimulant to be fair. Um, yeah. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Yep. So they, these, this group of individuals in Austria became known as the quote, arsenic eaters. And some were reputed to have adopted the practice to intentionally build up a tolerance against arsenic poisoning by their enemies, whatever enemies they have. I'm like, it's not it's that pretty deep. Pretty hardcore enemies, I guess. But... Also, there's <laughs> you can't build up a tolerance against arsenic. Like, your body doesn't do that. Like, it'll do it a little bit, but not a lot. Nice. <laughs> and, like, they were only noted to have acquired a modest degree of tolerance. So, like... At least they took one for a team, and now we know. Yep. Speaking of taking one for the team, I forgot to mention this earlier, but... um, Let me find it. But... There was a <laughs> this guy named Robert Christensen, who um, the, his official description in this article I was reading was daredevil toxicologist. <laughs> okay, <laughs> put some on his tongue and discovered that it had a very slight sweet taste. Okay, good so, for you, buddy. I guess. Thanks, Robert, for You're really willing to first figure in that yeah. one out. Um, so, yeah, that's fun. One, so, obviously, people were using it for medicine, and it's still, I'll get to this later, but it is still used in a very diluted and different form, but it is still used in some medicine. Um, but one of the kind of really early iterations of, like, okay, maybe we can use this to treat something was a solution of 1% potassium arsenate called Fowler's Solution. It was first used as a general tonic, but... Many, like, really reputable dermatologists felt that it had value in the treatment of psoriasis, which is hilarious oh. because my dog has black psoriasis. And I'm like, here, kitty, have some arsenic. <laughs> I would hope you would never give kitty arsenic. Um, through the 1960s, some dermatology textbooks still recommended its use, the use of Fowler's um, solution to treat psoriasis and it was so famous or like so well known that charles darwin was even said to have self-medicated with this um later in his life which um probably didn't do super not done great things things for for him him. yeah yeah smart man but i guess just shows like how pervasive and how like they didn't understand what was going on yeah but the main main thing that kind of gripped the Victorian society and why it became such an issue because like, yeah, people were poisoning people, but not that many people. Yeah. Some people were like accidentally mistaking it for sugar or whatever, but like not that many people. Mm -hmm. However, everyone was putting it in their homes in one way or another. Yeah. So Victorian society, as we know, they were, they loved to decorate. They, they loved their little houses. They loved their little dresses. They Mm -hmm. loved, to show off their wealth. Material and culture with industrialization for the first time, material culture mm-hmm. is like widely available to everyone. You Absolutely. can show off. You can show off. And it was, it was a form of showing off because one, it would show up how much money you have and two, how much taste, like how good yeah. of taste you have, mm-hmm. because that was a big, important part. And, um, 
what also played into this was the emergence and kind of general forming of society around the idea of separate spears which made the home the woman's world yes. which was her one thing that she could control mm-hmm. and her one way to show Prove her your worth and your talents exactly exactly so interior decorating became this huge huge fad i mean i don't want to call it a fad because obviously it's still huge but like mm-hmm. this huge it this industry was booming in a way that it had never had before and so it created this huge demand for all these home goods however <laughs> these Uh-oh. home goods were being produced with something not good in them so in 1778 we have the first arsenic green dye invented this is known as shields green mm. um it was a really bright kind of like spring grassy green like easter grass green mm-hmm. so not like that um like a hunter classic green. it was like, like gym yeah green um that wouldn't come until 1894 and that's called schweinfurt schweinfurt's green schweinfurt um and this is that more like classic victorian emerald green and both of these 1778 really took off um it was really popular but the 1814 one is really where it just went crazy and the reason why these dyes were so incredibly popular because there was just not a super great way to make green dye before this they can make green Mm. dye but it would take a lot of effort and you would have to use a lot of dye to actually get any pigment to stay on whatever you were trying oh. to dye. It just was, I knew. and it would fade really fast and it just was ineffective. So that's why green dye. What? Nothing. Um, I just suddenly had the urge to wash my hands after thinking about what I touched a few days ago at work. You should probably, well, I'm assuming I've, you're I washed your hands since, since then. then. But, um, <laughs> I'm just realizing that when you said lime green, I saw the worst, gaudiest, awful Victorian dress last week. What year? Uh, 1860, 1870, uh, 1880s. I just keep it in a well-ventilated area. Um, I was wearing gloves because of course I was wearing gloves. But like now I'm realizing because I opened it and remember thinking I've never seen this color green on a piece mm-hmm. of clothing. I just, I would say... And I was going to say this at the end of the episode. If you're handling anything from, of course, there's ways to test it. But if you're handling any, like, green anything we specifically. Have, yeah, we have arsenic testing available in our collections because we have so much taxidermy from the yes. before the 1980s, which yeah. also has a great deal of arsenic in it usually. Um, mm-hmm. I just realized that I should have flagged that. Well, Because I've, I've flagged hats and bonnets before because mm-hmm. they're cleaned with those chemicals but i didn't think to flag that one Mm -hmm. and i'm i know i was wearing gloves but i really suddenly feel the need to scrub every inch of my body (laughs) well if it hasn't taken you out yet it probably won't okay good to know (laughs) good to know but yeah so as i was saying there's just not a good way to make green dye like they like and people wanted green stuff yeah um and it wasn't just green it was kind of the related colors so like yellow like you could make yellow but it it really wasn't as good until the arsenic dye came along. You could make blue, like a tealy blue, but it really wasn't as good until the arsenic stuff came along. So, which is why when finally there was a green dye that was cheap and easily accessible and could be actually incorporated into manufacturing in this new industry that had an incredible demand, that's why arsenic took off in house decorating and homewares specifically because it just, the demand had been there for so long. And finally, finally it was, the um, supply was there and we can actually see the hints of kind of arsenic poisoning in 
<laughs> a really prominent piece of literature from the era, specifically the yellow wallpaper. wallpaper. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> yep. So the yellow wallpaper was a short story written by Charlotte Perkins Gilman in 1892. Um, depicting a woman who descends into madness and believes that the source of her illness stems from the wallpaper in her room. Of course, this is widely believed to be a metaphor for the fact that women were forced to stay in the home and it Mm -hmm. still is a big kind of piece in feminist literature, Mm -hmm. which I think is definitely kind of what she was going for. Yeah. However, she was probably literally, if this person was real in the story, she was probably literally being poisoned by the wallpaper in her home. There's a quote from um the story that says quote it makes me think of all the yellow things i ever saw not beautiful ones like buttercups but old foul bad yellow things honestly but there's something else about that paper the smell so i don't our sink doesn't have a smell but interesting the smell of like decay and old stuff can be so strong because Uh again working in collections especially textile collections Mm -hmm. sometimes you open a box or a bag and you're just like oh my god like the that uh post-regency wedding dress that i found the other day i opened it up and i was like this is a gorgeous dress but the smell hit me like a wall and i was like i know you just can't get over it what year was it started they started using it in the green dyes uh so the very first green dye was 1778 but it really didn't take off until the 1814 dye okay there was another dye that was invented later in the 19th century um, that kind of just added to the green dyes available. However, obviously none of these are still in use, but specifically this later green dye that was invented is now was, is, is used as the pesticide I mentioned before that they put Mm -hmm. in playgrounds and parks. Mm. Um, so that green dye that people were wearing on their body and in their homes, was now a pesticide for a long time. I really didn't even um, think of it until you said Easter egg, that Easter egg basket grass mm, color, because that's exactly the color of the, some of the dresses I've been dealing with. Yeah, and, and I didn't even think it. about it because, like, okay, this dress, y'all would, like, crack up. Um, the weight, <laughs> the, like, the line, you know how, like, your jacket, the hem of it is straight. This one was scalloped, but not small uh-huh. little arches scalloped. Like, uh-huh. it was made to look like a flower. That, like, you oh. were wearing a flower. So these huge... Oh half circle extensions on the end of the jacket it was interesting but i was so taken aback by the green flowerness of this thing that i didn't even <laughs> think about possible arsenic poisoning and there's definitely some teal dresses that are more you, green test than blue, them but... i would say test them it's better to know than to not well know. we have that arsenic kit yeah like with and us, if you're just kind of no like a hobby collector test it you know, if well, you think maybe test wallpaper, it. like there's certain books in wallpapers that we had tested before uh-huh. just to be safe. And this, uh-huh. yeah, it was in books too, because they would bind the books and it would be on the cover and everything. And I'll, yeah. Well, I also just assumed it had been tested when they did an intake and an accession on it, but I'm realizing they didn't, they wouldn't have thought because no one else there does textile mm. history. Mm. Yeah. So, okay. I'll do yeah. that this week. So in 1859, we did actually have a green dye that was really pigmented and worked really, really well, um, invented. And it was relatively popular, but even with that arsenic-free green, it took a long time to transition away from the arsenic green dyes. Um, Part of it was because it was just available and people didn't have the information to know, like, hey, you should be using this. Another thing was that because it was so available for so long, we're we're talking like six decades, over six decades at this point, it was just so pervasive that there was no easy transition. Yeah. It would be like you'd have to get rid of everything in your house because you had no idea what it could, like it was in everything. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't just green dye. Arsenic dye was 
in everything. Yes. They yeah. figured out how to make it in every single color. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was obviously wallpaper clothing. It was used as a food dye. Um, but what made it especially dangerous, um, because you're like, okay, wallpaper, like, as as it's not like you're getting it, up there, yeah. like, sniffing your walls, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what made it really dangerous was another really popular wallpaper trend at the time called flocking. <gasps> oh, yes. Mm-hmm. And so flocking, if you don't know, is kind of that really thin kind of velvety material that wallpapers will have sometime that adds like texture and dimension to the wallpaper. And if you've ever interacted with that kind of wallpaper, you know that if you brush up against it, those particles go flying. Mm-hmm. And so when those particles are full of arsenic, <laughs> guess what goes flying? through your house and in the air the arsenic you're breathing arsenic (laughs) so you're just breathing arsenic every time you brush up against your wall every time you are in a room or every time it rains and it gets humid and the wallpaper Mm. is disturbed and everything and even if (laughs) even if your wallpaper didn't have arsenic in it by some miracle the glue probably did yeah like it was no you were just not getting away from this i think that's where it showed up in books was the ink and the the binding Mm -hmm. glues yep so and also like so the binding glues and then also just the dye to like when you bound a book and blah 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 Mm -hmm. and of course with things like book you're interacting with that you're opening it you're disturbing the arsenic and most people read pretty close to their face so guess what you're breathing in especially in a time when glasses aren't standardized yet (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) and so you're reading a book for however many hours you're reading that book and what else do you have to do because it's the victorian times like except to read as i say read and if you're not high class work yep so um you're just interacting with it all the time and you could not get away with it and victorians did know that wallpaper that arsenic was in wallpaper and they knew that this was dangerous however they were being sold this myth that by wallpaper and other home good producers that um if they paid more for better quote quality items Mm. then the arsenic wouldn't escape the wallpaper which is just not true that's yeah one purveyor of this um myth was none other than william morris and william morris designs at least are still around he's a very very famous wallpaper maker from the victorian times and you can still find his original designs not with arsenic in them (laughs) thankfully but um i believe he's like his company at least is still in production and they're a big, big name in wallpaper. Um, but he, his wallpapers were kind of the most infamous one in Victorian times for being arsenic laden. Um, they were extremely popular. And he, of course, he, like you can Google them and his designs are just gorgeous. Um, and he used a lot of really vibrant blues and greens and yellow and they're, they're gorgeous. But what you need to understand is that Mr. Morris... He was a designer and an artist, but he was also the heir to the world's largest copper mine, which produced arsenic dust as a byproduct. So he was convincing Mm -hmm. all this Victorians, hey, I have super high quality arsenic wallpaper, but you don't have to worry about that because it's super high quality. Also, no, don't. Don't pay attention to the fact that I'm making money two times off of this. The amount of political corruption that goes into our, like... Mm-hmm. our consumption industry is terrifying yep because so, it's, it's also an issue in mine uh-huh well not only because obviously the mine itself causes massive environmental damage to everything around it but many miners died of lung disease 
Um, there was actually a 2003 article in Nature, which is a scientific uh, publication or a scientific, a science publication. Um, and he kind of just blew it off. So like people were dying from his wallpaper, but people were also dying from his mine. And he has a really famous phrase about the doctors who treated the miners that were dying of lung disease in his mines saying, quote, that they were, quote, bitten, whoa, <laughs> bitten by witch fever. Basically saying that, oh, this is ridiculous. They're Those doctors are quacks. Yeah. Why are they diagnosing my, there's nothing wrong with them. You know, when they're literally dying of lung disease. I hate how, um, I hate, I hate how much history repeats itself. Mm-hmm. And they were literally, like, diagnosed with lung disease and arsenic poisoning. And he was like, oh, those doctors are quacks. And he has a very famous phrase called saying that they were, oh, they were just bitten by witch fever. Because, pfft, you know, whatever. Just like my wallpapers. They're fine. <laughs> um, if you're, so textiles, obviously, a lot of dyes had arsenic in them, as I've mentioned. The most kind of risky forms of this were the, the parts of the textile that, came in contact with the skin and specifically would rub against the skin a lot. So we're talking like your, um, like your wrists on dresses because mm-hmm. it would kind of go back and forth, your collars, your stockings, anything that was like mm-hmm. up against the skin and rubbing. Chafing. And yes, yeah. it would cause rashes and um, really, unless it was close to the face where you could like ingest it, it would mm-hmm. mainly just cause, cause the skin to be really irritated um so like uncomfortable at most however so not like super dangerous but like you also shouldn't be wearing clothes that had arsenic in them Um, but at least you're not dying you're just getting a little rash and like okay don't wear those stockings anymore you know Mm -hmm. um however arsenic was a really popular dye in the production of fake flowers Mm -hmm. and Guess hats what? Hats and bonnets. Yep. Guess what Victorians love? Their hats. And guess what they love to put on their hats? Fake flowers. flowers. So <laughs> when these flowers, and everyone's seen like an old kind of decrepit fake flower. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. You know, and it's kind of, it is kind of dusty. Well, so like, when, I, they, not gonna lie, they last forever. Yeah. If they're, it, like, some of them. Not all well, of them. Like, the ones them. that are, like, ribbon flower, they disintegrate pretty fast. But there yeah. are, like some victorian hats that still look pretty good yeah yeah well you know the low again it's that quality question but i think you know you shouldn't be doing this anyway no yeah uh, it is not worth arsenic for me to have a nice hat but when you think about you know you put your your nice little bonnet on your head it's got all these flowers you're like oh so cute you mess with them throughout the day you're like oh Mm -hmm. so cute as long as you're wearing that hat, arsenic is raining down on your face and you are inhaling this, like, hmm. curtain of arsenic just all day. Hmm. And so this cute little thing just is, like, literally poisoning you. Hmm. And it's, like, it's just so incredible to me just how pervasive this was. Because it was everywhere. Yeah. Um, The YouTube video I mentioned, or I was watching to do this research, mentions a book called Bitten by Witch Fever by the author Lucinda Huxley. And it's literally, it's like a coffee table book. Ooh. All it is, is wallpaper samples that had arsenic in them. That's cool. Just hundreds and hundreds of wallpaper samples from the Victorian era that had arsenic in them. And um, the YouTube video flipped through them a lot. Um, and you can just, just to like display 
the diverse colors and everything because it's not just green. Mm-hmm. It's not like you could just get rid of everything in your house that was green. Yeah. Um, and I've mentioned this YouTube video a lot, so I guess I should say what it is. So it's called The Truth About Arsenic in the Victorian Era by Nicole Rudolph. It was very helpful and she did a great job. So if you want some visuals, she has some great stuff. Um, so if you're more interested and I would love to get my hands at least to look through a copy of this book because one wallpaper can be really pretty yes, it can. <laughs> and two, I'm like, oh, that's crazy. Just hundreds and hundreds yeah. of wallpaper samples that's, that were known to yeah, contain arsenic. Um, most countries had zero regulations on the sale and use of arsenic. And those first regulations weren't around until the late 19th century, kind of the second half of the 19th century. And in some places, not places, not until the 20th century. Um, in 1814, a man by the name of Matteo or Fila published the first textbook on toxicology so we're kind of like first trying to understand poisons and everything Mm -hmm. and it wasn't until 1936 that the chemist james marsh developed the marsh test which was the first test we had that could identify minuscule amounts of arsenic in food and human remains Hmm. um in 1814 a man by the name of hugo reich reinch it's r-e-i-n-s-e C-H. Reinch. R-E-I? R-E-I-N-S-C-H. I think it'd be Reinch. Reinch? Read. That's true. Because usually the first is this emphasized. Yeah, the first. Spell. I guess I should know that. I guess that's how my name is spelled. Um, so he develops a simple test for arsenic that involved using... So it just kind of was an easier arsenic test. So finally we have some sort of way to tell if arsenic is in anything. And so those like unsolved murders could finally be mm-hmm. solved because you can find if someone's been poisoned by arsenic, especially if it's like over a period of time. You can do like, like a hair into their... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or somewhere in their body, it's going to show. Yeah. The first bands of arsenic um, were seen in the 1850s and 60s. They were usually just related to food. So we still had arsenic being used in literally every other thing (laughs) that was being produced at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, Though in a surprisingly progressive move, France outright banned arsenic in 1861, which was the first country to just outright ban. And it was really, really early on in the process. That is surprising. Mm Mm-hmm. However, England and the United States, of course, would not ban it until much later. Um, There was an incident in 1858 called the Branford Candy Incident, which... um, (laughs) That's probably what it sounds like. (laughs) Yep, it is. Uh, So, in the city of Branford, there was a candy maker that was making a large batch of candy and confused the white powdered arsenic for plaster of Paris. And made the batch of candy and sold it, which poisoned hundreds of people and killed less than 10, but still a lot of people. Yeah, for a misstep. Also, how do you have that much arsenic sitting around that you can fuse it It with a whole barrel? I think they just keep it on the shelf. That's insane. Like, oh, there's flour, sugar, arsenic. (laughs) What the hell? Salt. Like, what? I know. So despite this incident, this did this did happen in the United Kingdom, but it wasn't until 1875, so a good 15 years later, that the Sale of Food and Drugs Act was put into place that limited the use of arsenic in food. Um, you weren't allowed to do it. And it, some attempts had been made to kind of like put a ban in place before this, but this was finally the law that had like the clout to like in the plan in place to like actually follow through with making sure it wasn't included 
Um, however, this is still, again, only limited to food. Um, the U.S. doesn't <laughs> regulate it until kind of with the 1906 Food and Drugs Act. Um, so thanks, Upton Sinclair, I guess. However, full-scale regulation of arsenic was not enacted until 1938. And again, that was just in food. So since then, there have been bans put in place, obviously, in mm-hmm. the United Kingdom and the U.S., but obviously arsenic wasn't included in a lot of stuff. So I really just think it was like that consumer market of being like, yeah. I'm not going to buy things if there's arsenic in them. Right. Like the um, people forced the change. Yeah. And kind of when people, that transition period, when people were like realizing, oh, this is bad for us. We shouldn't do this. Then companies would just say like, yeah, there's no arsenic in it. There like, definitely yeah. was arsenic well, who's in like it. who's standardizing it at that there's time? There's no one standardizing it. No one's going to stop there's them no, and be like, yeah, exactly. hey, you can't falsely the hell they advertise. Want. Yeah, they can put whatever the hell they want on whatever packaging they want. And people will be like, oh, okay. But arsenic was so cheap that they're like, we're not going to do something different, you yeah. know? So, um, in 1940, it <laughs> the Germans developed an organic blistering war gas that contained arsenic, known by the codename of lewisite. On contact with the skin, so this is during World War II, it, the gas reacted with the sulfur, with sulfur on keratin, which is a protein Ooh, in the yep. skin, to produce huge blisters, mm. um, which were only worsened by the release of a caustic hydrochloric acid that was also produced in the chemical reaction when it happened during this. Um, so that's kind of, uh, as Kat said, arsenic is still being used in taxidermy until late. <laughs> yeah um so now we kind of know like okay you don't touch arsenic we're not we don't mess very this. regulated substance and we're not dealing with it at all really anymore um there are some positives to come out of arsenic being so readily available in about 1900 in frankfurt germany a pharmacologist named paul L- <laughs> i can't talk today this is gonna be hard for me ehrlich I was going to say Elric. That's wrong. Ehrlich um, was really dead set on using arsenic for good. He was convinced that he could take arsenic and harness its toxic potential and use therapeutically as a treatment for diseases such as syphilis. And he is determined to do this. He tries 604 different experiments to try to get arsenic to treat syphilis. And on number 605, he finally got it to work. And he gave this treatment the name of Salvarsin. And it was the first drug that was safe enough to be given to humans and be truly effective against the against syphilis, which is a big deal. Yeah, what Because year? 1900. So, like... That's going to show up in mine, too. Oh, is it really? Yeah. We're oh. about to hit that overlap period, I think, Ooh. of time. Um, so, it was a big, big deal because, like, syphilis is a bad... Mm-hmm. Syphilis is bad news. And... They'd been trying to treat it for a long time. Of course, up upon the discovery of penicillin a couple of years later, that was kind of eradicated, but it still deserves to be said, like, no, like, he found a treatment. Syphilis you know? is nasty, especially mm-hmm. untreated. Like, mm-hmm. we'll, you will again, go crazy. Yeah. We'll yeah. talk about it in mine, too. But, like, it's it, it gets passed off as a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so as I said before, and well, no, and I don't know if I mentioned this specifically, but we are still using it in modern medicines, um, obviously in small and very modified doses, um, 
specifically it's used today in leukemia treatment to help deplete white cell blood counts Mm. so it's really interesting um and yeah so that's arsenic if you are interested in knowing more there is a book that i saw all over the articles i was reading called the arsenic century how victorian britain was poisoned at home work and play by dr james c horton if you want to read that and learn more that's fantastic and that is arsenic that is super interesting. Thank you, Kaylee. You're welcome. I felt like it was kind of all over the place, but it was all over the place. Well, you have to be because <laughs> it's a... Con- <laughs> well, when you do comprehensive histories, you literally have to jump from like century to century to century yeah, sometimes. Yeah. But so, it is very interesting to see how like so many chemicals, so many deadly chemicals by our standards, when harnessed correctly, actually did do good things. Yeah. Like the penicillin... Or the... Not penicillin. The syphilis treatment. Like that's phenomenal. Yeah. Like, no, yeah, yeah, let him have arsenic to figure out if he can treat penicillin. Or, yeah. I keep doing that. No, to treat syphilis. Syphilis. Yeah. Um, yeah, like, obviously, it's not all bad. Mm-hmm. But, like, in this case, it's mostly bad. Yeah. The green dyes that arsenic produces are gorgeous. Mm-hmm. They're gorgeous. Go look up arsenic wallpaper. They are gorgeous. Mm-hmm. But they will but kill you. Kill you. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, uh, we'll look at it behind a sealed door well whenever people are like i found this victorian wallpaper today when i stripped off my own i was like you need to be wearing a mask or yeah like yeah people who do house renos like for real you they know especially in old houses you Mm -hmm. need to be wearing yeah more like like ppe to the extreme yeah so i did see something about so for a long time people thought that if you had so if you know you had a house built in 1860 whatever Mm -hmm. It had arsenic wallpaper up. And then over the years, there's been several layers of paint and wallpaper. Mm -hmm. People thought for a long time that the arsenic gas could still seep out. That's not the case. Oh, yeah. However, if you are going in and stripping your your wallpaper, you are disturbing the arsenic. Exactly. It's like... It's um, like asbestos, Asbestos, yeah. Like, it'll be fine until you touch it. Well, that's uh, one of my bosses... um, she she's helping restore some homes well she is restoring one of her homes and her neighbor is doing some home renovations on theirs and she walked out back and she was like choking on this chemical smell and because she was walking out to her laundry Mm -hmm. and she was like what are they burning that made me feel like they were choked and i was like you legally cannot burn like like waste in your backyard from that because there can be asbestos like there's a ton uh-huh. of restrictions on how you are allowed to legally dispose of pieces of historic homes that can carry things like asbestos and arsenic yeah and i was like okay not to be like a snitch but you if you see them doing that again you need to call the police and i told her i was like everything like from can't... asbestos to arsenic could be in the air and you were yeah. breathing that in yeah well um... and her eyes were burning for literally three days after that Jeez. and i was like yeah, um, that's not good. No, if they do that again, you need to, like, report yeah. it. Because even well, if it's what, nothing, you're still not allowed to burn. We're uh-huh. on a burn ban here. Yeah. So. Well, what freaked me out, I mean, obviously all of this freaked me out when I was doing research, but arsenic was also used a lot in candles. Oh, yeah. And so it was, like, that same burning thing. Mm-hmm. I was like, God, you're going to, not only are you around it, you are now creating a chemical reaction. Yeah. And who the hell knows what that's going to do. Right. Like, don't introduce a heat source. Well, that's what scares <laughs> me. I have a candle burning right now. I don't burn a lot of candles, but I have one burning right well, now. that's a Yankee candle, so I think it's safe. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, though. <laughs> Over the last few years, people have started to question if it's actually, like, fragrant candles that are designed to, like, release a fragrance. If some of them, certain, like, companies and mm-hmm. producers haven't been, like lying like about safety and stuff like that in yeah. their materials so it's it's always well scary. i think with that kind of stuff um it's 
unless you're burning a candle 24 7 yeah then it probably is not that big of a deal but i have heard people who like some candles they'll be like there's like black soot in my nose yeah because they're like i've been burning this candle yeah that scares me like yeah but i do think that it's like the running joke about the baja blast that they have that disclaimer on their website that says like can car cause reproductive harm or whatever <laughs> give me a baja blast Stat- right? uh, just if i could literally just do away with my reproductive system by drinking, by a, drinking baja a, blast, a baja blast i would be done. chugging that 24 7 there you go this Ugh. is america this is what we've been forced to <laughs> i mean unless you want to make health care free uh yeah yeah baja blast it is <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna blah blast these intestines. That's what I'm gonna do. This uterus. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. All well, right. Well. Take a take a bathroom break and a water break. Um, Kaylee, what's your rec for the week? Okay. So I was thinking about it, and um, I'm gonna I'm gonna give this recommendation, not knowing, not doing the research I probably should have done. Um, so forgive me. But I really love the song Lola by the Kings. And I do not know how the trans community feels about that song. So I apologize if it's really offensive. But it's a really fun song. <laughs> I've never heard of that before. You've never heard Lola? Mm-mm. Oh, it's good. The lyrics don't seem offensive to me. But I am not a part of the trans community. So I can't speak to that. Is and, it about? Um, it's about. It's. I mean, it's a kink song. So it was written back in the day. But it was. Um, it's about a guy who moves to a big city and falls in love with a trans woman. That's what it seems like it is to me. So um, I just really love that song and it's been stuck in my head all day. So that's what I'm going to recommend. What do you got, Kat? Well, let's see. Um, Okay. Ironically, when I was doing my research today, Uh like I did not choose it to come up on my Spotify. Like, you know, when you finish a playlist, it'll let you like, it'll just choose predictions. Yeah. The soundtrack from uh, Radioactive came on like the madame curie movie with the actress oh from... i was like no 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 not the Imagine Dragons song. <laughs> no, the, the movie that came out the girl that plays jane bennett what's her name again she's in gone girl jane um, oh oh yes the really pretty rosamund rosamund pike, pike. Yes. yes um she's in that madame curie movie that came out a couple oh. years ago and the soundtrack from it is really good and ironically it came on while i was doing my research and i was like uh, radioactive and it's very pretty so there you go. I recommend that. Well, if you have a computer and a phone, maybe put the computer, the soundtrack on and then listen to Cat's story. Yeah, because, because we're about to dive into. We're about to dive into. The Radium Girls. <gasps> Guess what? Like, it's didn't know, morbid. Like, yeah. Cause we, I'm sorry. We, I we need to stop talking. People. My brain is not with me today. I don't know what's going on. You're good. So um, I do want to shout out to my old manager and very good friend, Sam, for lending me the book on it a few years ago. I have not been able to return it to her because of COVID. So it's still oh. sitting on my shelf. Um, it's by Kate Moore. Um, but it was like, I knew about the Radium Girls for a long time, but it was the first time I ever got like a comprehensive look at the full depth of what happened to the Radium Girls. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're hearing this, Sam, thank you. I'll return your book to you as soon as I see you again. <laughs> um, a quick summary so you can decide whether or not to listen to my section is that the radium girls were a group of women that were hired into factories during world war one and used radium in their work. It slowly started to poison them and it eventually led to many of their deaths, um, disfigurements and eventually legal battles that they fought against some huge corporations that eventually Mm -hmm. affected labor laws and standards all over the world. So if that sounds interesting to you, Stick around. I originally intended this to be a one-part episode, and then I started doing my research last night, and I aim for four to six pages of notes per episode, 
And I was scrolling up to add something to the beginning and realized that I had accidentally taken 12 pages of notes. Oops. So we split it, it into to two. The best of us. Yeah, this will be a two-part episode for me. So during World War One, the Radium Girls were hired to work especially on military equipment and watches. They were brought into these factories. Um, there were dials, like I said, watches, um, submarine equipment, like anything you could think of that has those little tick marks and numbers on them with a hand in the middle that turns. They were pretty mm. much working on it. Mm-hmm. A lot of them were incredibly excited to be working in radium factories, not just because of the pay, but also because it was a very patriotic thing to do. We've talked mm-hmm. about it before a little bit. Like, we don't quite have, like, the Rosie the Riveter thing going on yet, where American men had completely left, you know, manufacturing right. or anything like that. But, Amer- like, women were really looking for a way to contribute, and this was advertised as a way for them to do so. The work was mostly done by women, not just because men were, you know, some were moving to the war front and some were becoming less involved in manufacturing and going to do other jobs, but also because when you paint these tiny dials and watches and timepieces, mm-hmm. you need people who are very detail-oriented and can do dainty detail work, which mm-hmm. young children don't have the hand-eye coordination for, right? Like, quite yet. You know, you gotta do, like, the elegant swivels yeah. and curves and everything. And young women were deemed suitor, better suited to do that than pretty much anyone else. They were mm-hmm. steady hands. Um, they needed good eyesight. And it was just decided that they would be the best fit for their factories. So that's who they're starting to kind of recruit and bring in to do this work. There were still not great regulations among child labor laws, obviously, where, you know around world war one and some of the employees may have been as young as 11 years old wow hundreds of women flocked to these jobs um it pays well compared to what other women were being allowed to do it was roughly three times more money than an average woman would be making in a factory setting Mm. and you could sit and paint at your desk instead of having to be up on your feet all day Mm -hmm. so it's like a good gig and if you transfer that to today's money you would be turning roughly 40000 a year. Okay. Like, I would take that. That's a big For income. to sit and paint dials and yeah. just chat with my friends while Maybe I work. Maybe not with the radium. Well, they didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. But, like, to just sit and paint with, like, and hang out with my yeah. friends. Like, yeah, That's it would work. That's a good work. gig. Um, so the people producing these materials knew that radium was going to glow in the dark. So they were using radium in the paint for the numbers and ticks. Um, it, that makes it a lot easier for pilots to see at night for soldiers to see in the dark without needing something that completely mm-hmm. lights up. I mean, if you're in a trench, you don't want a light. You want something that glows just faintly enough to see it, but doesn't bring attention. So it's like the perfect, mm-hmm. it's the perfect substance. Radium was like the miracle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was a new, relatively new thing, I should say. Madame Curie and her husband, Pierre, had only discovered it a couple de- decades before this in December of 1898. They have not had a ton of time to learn about the long-term side effects yet. There's also not a lot of legal framework for testing and management and production about chemicals and materials. The FDA wasn't even informed until 1906. And even then, that's the Food and Drug Administration, not the chemicals that were found in Madame Curie's right. like, lab kind of thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of standardization now that we have is because of the Radium Girls. Our nation... Um, yeah, has been through a lot of standardization, but you can trace a lot of it back to this. Mm-hmm. The radium-infused paint itself was relatively new. It was invented closely to the turn of the century, a little while after Madame Curie had managed to 
isolate radium. Mm-hmm. Um, they had mixed it. A man had mixed it with some zinc materials, but he didn't patent it. You know who did? Tiffany. Like Tiffany. Kind of. Oh, okay. And like people, their employees would see the effects. They'd go around at night and their like clothes and their jewelry would be glowing. Right. And yeah. it was like, oh, this is pretty. This is so cool. Mm-hmm. And it came to popularity a little bit later in America. And they basically mixed the white paint and radium for the first time in America in 1917 and started using it in production. Mm. Because even after Madame Curie discovered it, she it took them a little while to be able to use it in a mixable form, mm-hmm. even though she isolated the sample in 1910. Mm-hmm. So if you want an X-ray and radium background story, it's definitely around. I saw some really cool articles about it, but it is incredibly in-depth. Like the history of the X-ray itself includes so many players, so many things. I couldn't go into all that as well. So if you want to go look it up, I encourage it. I just couldn't fit it into an already two-part episode. Mm-hmm. But this radium paint that they developed it was called undark Mm. so uh, it started showing up in other factories with other corporations were producing it some people called it marvelite and other people called it luna but all in all you're looking at the same stuff being handed out to these factories it's radium and paint mixed together Uh this is where i attempt a terrible science breakdown like the worst science breakdown you will ever hear. Um, I would like to note, I did take advanced chemistry in high school. I understood about 4% about what happened in that class. 4%. Uh, that's being generous. That's a pretty scientific number. Thank so you. we're already off to a good start. Thank you. Well, I don't know numbers or STEM, so you'll know me. or STEM. <laughs> no, no numbers or science or technology or, or engineering or mathematics. I really don't. That's my sister's purview. Um, so... I want to explain this so we have a little better understanding of what radium poisoning is. So welcome to science class. All there right, is I'm ready. only like one stable isotope of radium. It's known as radium-226. It has a half-life of about 1,600 years, but any and all radium emits alpha particles as long as it lasts, which shouldn't be too dangerous in small doses. The word radiation like scares a lot of people because it has such a bad connotation in history, but there are so many natural items that give off radiation as they decay. Like you have them in your mm-hmm. house right now. You have them in your bathroom right now. Yeah. Like there are a lot of things give off radiation. It just is like, it just is it's spewing so particles. Yeah. It just, it doesn't. Yeah. It's yeah. so minimal and so insignificant that we don't have to worry about it. Mm-hmm. And your skin is supposed to protect you from it. Like most of that radiation couldn't penetrate your skin. That's how weak it is. Mm. And I mean, you experience radiation when you're at the doctor and they do like, that's why you're not supposed to get how many, what is it? How many x-rays are you supposed to minimize to in a year or something like that? I don't know, but it is why you don't have to wear the big lead suits, but the nurses who are doing the x-rays do. Yeah. You know, cause I they're was- exposed to several every I was always actually putting in the little red suits whenever I had the ortho appointments because they would take so many x-rays. Oh, I've never had an x-ray done. Oh, I always have. They put the the lead suit over your body and then like... It's like whatever part of your body is exposed. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, in theory, you were not in danger of any of the radioactivity or the alpha particles and stuff in your immediate sphere. Right. But if you put it directly in your body and ingest it, it's kind of like all bets are off. Mm-hmm. Um, th- I had to go looking for the science of radium poisoning, and I could not succinctly put this into my own words. Yeah, I know. So I'm going to quote a website, because 
it, uh, it explained chemistry in a way that I felt like I could understand. Nice. Um, but yeah, it basically said light photons strike the radium atom, bumping its electrons into a higher orbit. After the sun sets and it gets dark, those electrons spontaneously drop into lower orbits, emitting a particle and some photons as they go. When radium is placed next to human cells or in the bloodstream, like when it crosses a mucous membrane such as the gums, it turns into a microscopic machine gun that gets lodged in the body's tissues. The radium then fires off particle after particle at very close range, eventually mutating and killing the cells around it. Whoa. And I felt like that was a visual I could understand a little Whoa. bit. Yeah. Um, because I can't understand hardcore scientific terminology that I kept finding everywhere else. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, what they did know in the early stages of radium was that it had been used to help treat cancer. So it's kind of like the syphilis effect with the arsenic. Like, mm -hmm. it could be used for good. And I think that right. put a lot of people at ease. It was considered, uh. like, this miraculous thing. Like, if it if it beats cancer and makes your body better, yeah, then it makes good. your body better uh -huh. overall to ingest it. So... The bosses at these plants are telling the woman, like, no, this is good for you. If anything, mm -hmm. it's going to make your cheeks rosy. It's going to make you look healthy. It's going to give you a glow. And we know that these bosses and owners of these companies knew early on that that was a complete and utter lie. Mm. Because in the other factories, men were given lead aprons. Oh. When they worked with the radium and harmful chemicals. And it, they knew it wasn't good. Well, and, that's not right. Yeah. And the companies claimed that they gave men those materials because they were dealing in large quantities like moving large quantities of it mm. but they even the people at the buildings where the radium paint was being used some of them would walk around with preventative gear on so like they knew huh. they were lying to the women about it and these women are not just carrying it or moving it they're ingesting it it's going in their mouths well when you're like doing detailed paint work like you gotta get up close with it well it's even more than that, um, I'll explain it. Uh, actually, you know what? I'll get around to it. Um, okay. But basically, um, the inventor of undark painting, or paint itself, stopped by one of the rooms, and he saw what the girls were doing, and he told them to stop because it was going to make them sick. He was like, what are you doing? And one of the women went to like the foreman or the manager of her line and asked him, and he was like, don't worry about it. The inventor of the paint doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> and, I, and a lot of people desired it because they were like, it's going to increase your libido. It's mm. going to make you more beautiful. It's going to mm. be magical. It's in medication already. It's in vitamins and supplements. Doctors were prescribing it from arthritis to cancer to colds. And they think that, you know, the ways they had started to understand x-ray and the fact that you could see radium glowing, they were like, it has mm -hmm. energy. Mm. so let's prescribe it to people who need energy yeah. who have chronic illness like like depression who uh -huh. need an energy boost so i can't sexual remember impotence like depression fatigue all of these were diagnosed with like yeah. radium supplements i was watching a documentary at this about this at one point mm -hmm. and it was saying all these things too i can't remember why i was watching that so i don't watch a lot of documentaries yeah well, that's fair <laughs> um it's interesting, though. So Yeah. Well, what's terrifying yeah. is that they knew in some level still that this was harmful from its origin, 
because Madame Curie got radium burns when she was working with it, like mm. bad ones. And we all know that she was eventually killed from exposure to radiation. But yeah. her husband hated the material and feared it so much that he didn't want to be in the room with it. He thought it would blind him or burn wow. him. They would like carry samples of it in their pocket and it would like burn them, burn them. Wow. So they knew that in some yeah, capacity it was you. dangerous. Yeah. And there are plenty of other scientists who came forward and were like, um, no, like you're going to suffer from the side effects, but these companies weren't paying attention. Uh-huh. And there's a CNN article that I found that explained it as, um, chemically it behaves a lot like calcium since the body uses calcium to make bone and ingested radium is mistaken for calcium and gets incorporated into your bone. So the major health risk of ingesting radium is radiation-induced bone necrosis and bone cancers. Mm. How soon they develop depends on the dose and the very high doses that the girls, radium girls were exposed to just a few years. Mm. So that's kind of why, like, Madame Curie and the people that had been exposed to it weren't showing symptoms, but all of a sudden the radium girls start popping up with really bad stuff because they were exposed to such high doses directly. Yeah. And you can't blame these poor radium girls for not knowing well they're being lied to yeah they're being lied to the rest of the world is in a rage about it it was in cosmetics it was in toothpaste it was in beauty products there was radium infused tonic water Mm -hmm. they would paint their teeth with it because it was known to make their smile all bright and glowy like and the woman in the factories just knew that they could paint their nails with it and that they could go to work and then be covered in so much of the dust by the end of the day that their dresses would glow so they would wear their date night clothing to work and then go to like a speakeasy afterwards so they they would would glow glow. yeah and it's a huge perk it's a status symbol Mm -hmm. because it's free radium and radium Mm -hmm. was extremely expensive so they weren't going to complain it costs somewhere but about 1.9 million dollars for a gram wow it's incredibly expensive so these girls are like we're getting the like the status we're getting the like the rare opportunity to have exposure yeah, they're to not going to question it and that's why the, a lot of people think that the like tonic waters with radium and we don't see as much radium poisoning as we would expect for everyone consuming it they think that a lot of the radium that was put into those bottles in those supplements that were being advertised wasn't radium at all it was probably right. filler chemicals because uh-huh. radium was so expensive that yeah. like companies were like oh yeah it has radium in it no it doesn't yeah because like, who's gonna tell them hey you can't do that exactly yeah so what do I do when I'm threading my needle? Lick it. I lick it. What do you think these women were doing and told to do to get a fine point on their paintbrushes? Yeah, lick it. Yeah. I mean, I've painted like that yeah, before. You lick exactly. it. Yeah. And so these women are eating it. It's not mm-hmm. just in the air. They are eating radium. Mm. And at first I was like kind of surprised, but apparently radium, a bunch of them said it didn't have a taste. One woman mm-hmm. hated it so much. I'll get to that later. But, like, a lot of these women didn't know it. And they, they teach it to the women intentionally. They don't just allow them to do it. They tell them mm-hmm. to do it. They call it the lip pointing in factories or the lip dip paint process. And they're working as fast as possible. So they're not going to try to twist with their fingers or yeah. clean their brushes. They're just licking between brush stro- yeah. strokes. Yeah. The men in the factories told them that they would make about... 0.05 like dollars like 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 five cents basically uh-huh. per wash they completed so the faster uh-huh. you get your work done the more right. you get paid so you gotta be mm-hmm. yeah but this is like a very dry paint it's um 
so like they're they're having to lick pretty much between every number Mm. if not every number every other number wow that is a lot of radium that they're ingesting that's 12 or 6 licks per watch working at about 200 watches per day oh my god and they have no clue that they're eating radium yeah like in this capacity and they're one of the big companies is the United States Radium Corporation. Um, and they, sorry, my fridge kicked on and that distracted me. Um, <laughs> what was that? <laughs> yeah. And they're having good fun. They're making good money. They have access to radium. So they're telling all their friends and family members to come work with them. They're telling them, this is a great job. You should come work with me. And I'm sure filled a lot of these women with regret in later years because they yeah. got their family into this into this mess right. unintentionally, but it's not their fault either because they were lied to. USRC itself ended up with somewhere around 300 girls working on their radium watches and faces, including girls from the same families. Oh no. These women start to realize over time that it isn't just their clothes growing. In some rare cases, their bodies would start glowing. Cause they're ingesting it. Uh-huh. And they're oh, called, the, and they start calling them the ghost girls. Oh, wow. Ooh, they give me chills. Yeah. And what's terrifying is that even these bosses who knew from, like, scientific stuff and might have been like, you know, these girls aren't going to seek out scientific yeah. information on what they're working on. They're just going to do what they're working on. But yeah. there were, like, public people going out in public saying this isn't safe. Like Theodore Bloom, who was the first person to use the term radium jaw, mm. he wrote an article in 1924 suggesting that there was a correlation between the amount of painters he was seeing come to his dentistry and the amount of women that were working in these factories. Mm. He was like, something's going on. Yeah. Y'all need to stop. Yeah. But they didn't. And so the first case that we really tragically see com- a complete breakdown in is Miss Amelia Magia or Magia known as Molly to her friends. She was working for what would eventually become the United States Radium Corporation. It started under a different name. Mm -hmm. Um, Started originally as Radium Luminous Luminous Materials Corporation. Mm -hmm. This is up in New Jersey where a lot of that manufacturing was going on. It's kind of in the thick of it. And the first thing she gets is a really bad toothache. Her jaw is killing her. So the first thing she does was go to a normal doctor who told her Mm -hmm. that it was rheumatism and that she just needed to take some aspirin. This is a girl in her early 20s. Mm. Rheumatism and aspirin don't really fit this bill. And they should have, I mean, and they knew that. Like, she knew that. That she had no history of, like, Mm -hmm. these issues. And it was just coming on out of nowhere. It's like when I went to the doctor to get my ear infections looked at. Mm -hmm. And he told me I had TMJ. Except incredibly worse. Yeah. But just, like, you're incorrect. Yeah. (laughs) That's wrong. You're not correct. And I went to a freaking ENT, a specialist. Yeah. And he still was like, freaking doctor. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Something's never changed. Well, and yeah, and the sad thing is a lot of these women throughout time would get written off. Their early symptoms would get written off as hysteria or mm. just, uh, um, what's the term? Um, plus, not placebo, but a psychosomatic and stuff like that. Like they yeah. wouldn't. Well, that's what I was thinking when I was looking or doing the arsenic research. I was like, who spends the most time in the home? Mm-hmm. The mom, the, the wife. Yes. Mm-hmm. Who's spending who spends the most cleaning time? It? Who's who's rubbing down and carpets and, and sofas and carrying dusting. laundry up and down stairs? And it's women. It's women. And so I'm like, no wonder they thought all these women were going crazy because they were being poisoned. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god. 
Well, and this doctor, all he tells her is aspirin, which is relatively new at the time. And Mm -hmm. it's not a cure-all, but obviously aspirin is not going to stop the effects of radium poisoning. And of course, dentistry isn't up to par with what we have now. Um, But the pain gets so bad that they eventually decide they're going to just extract the tooth, which is not uncommon solution in this time. Mm -hmm. Um, If you are a bit squeamish about medical stuff, the next couple minutes are going to get real nasty like it makes me uncomfortable and i'm like holding my jaw right now thinking about it um so skip ahead a couple minutes if you don't like medical information but i'm going to describe basically what happened to miss maggie first um so she goes in to get that tooth pulled very soon after the one next to it starts to go Mm. she goes in to get it pulled and in place of where those teeth were in her gums, suddenly she gets these huge ulcers, like these oh. blisters, and they fill with pus and oh. blood, and they're oh. bleeding into her mouth. Oh, my God. And I cannot imagine for a 20-year-old girl oh how God. terrible and terrifying and painful that was because it starts to spread through her whole mouth <sighs> and into her jaw. And they just keep pulling teeth. And keep in mind, this is done without modern like antiseptics, God. anesthetics, any of this stuff. And the doctor realizes that there's an abscess on her jaw and it's spreading rapidly and she needs surgery to stop it. Oh my God. What happens next is probably the worst thing I've ever heard from a medical report. The radium had reached the bone and had basically leached out the calcium. It had deteriorated the bone completely, shredding apart the bone cells and leaving crumbling fragments inside. So he opens up her gums and immediately looks and is like, something is wrong with her jaw. It was the wrong color. Oh. He reaches forward to touch it with his finger and it disintegrates. Oh my God. In her jaw. The oh. bone starts to just collapse. He ends up pulling out pieces of her jaw with his fingers. Oh my God. During this operation, thinking he was just going to cut out an abscess, he pulls out her jaw as dust and ash. Oh my God. Oh my God. It, it's so awful. And by the summer, he has to keep going. In. Like, this is not a single thing. Like, this is a multi. Yeah. Like, this is going to continue. So she keeps deteriorating so much by, that by the summer, the woman had her entire, Miss Maggie, Miss Molly, had her entire lower jaw removed. And the radiation had sent so much damage that it reached into her ear where they had to remove pieces of her inner ear, which means she can't mm-hmm. balance. She can't hear. And it, like... I do not encourage you to look up photos unless you have a very strong stomach, but there are pictures of exactly what happens when you move, remove someone's entire lower jaw. And it is terrifying. Like this poor girl, like she's a young woman and all of a sudden it starts popping up in other parts of her body. And it takes a matter of months before the abscesses cause a massive hemorrhage that end up killing her on September 12th of 1922. Oh my god. And some people say it was the hemorrhage. Some say the abscesses got to her jugular and throat and basically choked herself to death oh my god. on pus and blood. Oh. Ooh. Like, I cannot imagine how horrifying it, it was for this poor woman to have a completely unknown sickness like this that just ate her body away while she was still living. Oh my god. It means she couldn't eat, she couldn't swallow, she couldn't, like, function. Yeah, if she wasn't gonna die from you know maybe the abscesses or what however they theorized it like she would have starved she was younger than me oh my god like and i can't comprehend how 
terrifying that was for a girl like that. So she's the first case where something is obviously wrong. Margaret Looney is another one of the radium girls who didn't show the same symptoms. And it becomes a problem later when we get to the court cases because radium poisoning does not pop up the same between women. Right. And so it's very hard for them to say like, oh, this girl has it, this girl doesn't. You can't sue me because it doesn't present as a standardized sickness. Mm -hmm. But Miss Margaret Looney was working a at one of the factories because she was a, had a very good paying job. There are 10 people in her family. So she's just doing her part to supply for them, going to work yeah. every day and coming home covered in radium dust. She works there for a very long time, about six years. And she starts to feel ill. She keeps trying to go into work. She doesn't present with any, like, like a jaw deterioration, quite like Miss uh -huh. Molly did. But she collapses at work. And the bosses are still at this point denying and telling the women there is nothing wrong with what they're doing. But she mm -hmm. collapses at work and they rush her to the hospital. The officials notify her family telling them that she has diphtheria and she has to be quarantined. Mm. She ended up dying there alone at age 24. Oh my god. <sighs> the doctors had, these doctors in particular, it's thought that they knew radium was an issue. And they lied. Like, knowingly lied to her family and friends about what it was so that they wouldn't, like, I don't know if this is one of the companies that USRC, like, paid off or right. if they were just in on it or what. Mm -hmm. But no matter what they claimed, they knew how oh much of a God. risk she was because when they buried her, they had to put her in a lead coffin. <gasps> You're kidding. The doctors knew. They buried her in a lead, lead coffin. coffin. She was that and they radioactive. Still let people lick paintbrushes all day. She was so radioactive that even six feet underground, they oh, had to put her in a lead coffin. Oh my god! And I'll talk about it later. But like, there are like you can still detect the radium from these buried women in the ground to this Holy day. Holy shit! Yeah. So, the doctors who had talked, like, seen Maggie in, well, I just she went by Molly. Um. But some of these doctors are, like, in on it. And some of these doctors had no clue what the, like, what the hell had just happened to Maggie. Because it only took yeah. a matter of months for her face to disintegrate and for her to choke to death on I her own I can't imagine, like, not knowing and being like, what the... To have no doctor that has ever seen anything yeah. like that before. To, like, no semblance of help or hope. Yeah. To just be laying there waiting to die. I cannot imagine. Oh, my God. Um, but... They decide that it is the best thing they can come up with is an extremely distorted version of syphilis. So they mark her down as deceased from syphilis. Huh. And leave it to rest at that. Huh. They don't mention the radium. They don't make any point of it in her autopsy. They just say it was syphilis and that's it. And huh. put her to rest and walk away. Yeah. But it makes me so mad. Um, some of the other women have started to pop up with some pretty severe illnesses at this point. And the doctors obviously don't have not seen exposure like this before this like ingested constant exposure. And so they're misdiagnosing them. Sometimes it's tuberculosis, sometimes it's syphilis or just telling them that in general they're hysterical and the whole thing is psychosomatic. Um, but Molly's death brings enough attention to what's going on in the other women that, like, the the company's having a hard time denying it anymore. Right. Um, they're, like, 
there's some pictures again not unless you have a strong stomach but like of the abscesses it looks like a tumor like it looks like the size it looks like a like the size of the tumor on this woman's chin is the size of like her head wow like the women are facing a million different issues other than just abscesses though um i didn't know the human body could do that under any circumstances um and eventually the employer decides we're going to commission someone to make a study of this issue because a lot of their women were like physically incapable of working anymore Mm. obviously yeah when you poison your entire workforce yeah that checks out yes and they're like okay something's obviously going on here (laughs) yeah obviously i guess we'll acknowledge it yeah we're gonna have to look into that yeah we're gonna launch um what what do they call it? A task force. Basically, that's what they did. Oh, my God. And part of it's, yeah, because they were, like, so ill that they couldn't come to work. But some stuff was happening at work now. Like, some of the women would stand up and their legs would break. Oh, my God. Their spines were collapsing and dissolving. Oh, my God. Like, some of the women got so ill that they would be carried around in carts and wagons. Oh my god, why are you so go to work? Don't go to work. Well, like a lot of them stopped going to work at this point, but Good. they were like but they were like like it's bone disintegration. It's undeniable. Yeah. That something is happening to these women and it's not psychosomatic because you saw that woman's legs break yeah. right in front of you. Well, like in it's not like, oh, you can say, "Oh, all these ladies live in this town." No. They don't just live in the town. They don't have exposure mm-hmm. to it in the water system. There is something going on in the one yep. communal place they are, and it's work. Mm-hmm. And the company loves this idea of Molly having syphilis because it's a smear um. campaign. Because syphilis is treated as uh-huh. it's a, a venereal disease. Venereal disease. Yep. And so they're like, <sighs> oh my god, it's syphilis. All these women just have syphilis, and they're willing to back that story up till they die. Oh, of course, because that means it's they're off scot free, and, and it, then it can be like, oh, she's a loose woman. A loose. We're not gonna take her seriously. Yeah, she's like it. It immoral. disregards her entire struggle. Yep. Her entire like gruesome death. Oh my and, god. Um. There's miscarriages, stillbirths, and they start to see cancer popping up, and like cancer mm. takes a while to develop usually, and that's it. Like this is. Some of these women have been working here a long time, and most of them are too young to be getting the cancers that they're getting. Yeah. So it's very unlikely that um, the rest of the world wasn't going to notice at some point. Right. The smear campaign helps people not pay attention, but eventually some news outlets start to get a hold of it. Uh-huh. And so many of them started talking about it, and USRC was really good, again, at putting down the media around it until so many sources were like, Hey, what is this? But the rest of the world starts asking, what is this? And they come to the, the public comes to their own conclusion at some point of what's going on. And so they kind of tone back what they're purchasing from the mm. USRC and the companies making these products. Cause they're like, we're not sure if this is ethical anymore. Right. And the military had made a huge commission at the beginning of the war saying like, we want to, um, like, we need to put an order in for this. We need it for military. We need it for planes, all mm-hmm. this stuff. But they can't just survive on that because when USRC got those original um, contracts, they expanded quickly. Mm. And so to maintain their level of production, they have to 
they have yeah. to maintain not just the military contracts but the other ones as well but people right. all over the world are like are no. you sure you're being ethical here maybe not and eventually that is what forces usrc to actually say like okay we'll commission a separate investigation etc cetera, etc cetera. don't worry about it we'll get there eventually um but a lot what's sad is that a lot of the people in the international community see the plight of these women see what's going on and demand action but the women in their communities themselves a lot of them were angry mm. they didn't want to hear a fuss about the issue because it's going to close down jobs. Yeah. And these are good paying jobs. Good jobs. Yeah. Like where else are women going to have nice factory jobs where you don't have to be on your feet all day, where you're making like three times what the average woman makes. They don't want to deal with it. They don't want to talk about it. They don't, they're also scared because their friends are the ones working I mean, in these radium factories. And so, so they, they don't, don't want to think about the fact that it's their friends. It's true. Well, I think it just, I mean this and so many other things that women have like endured just for some sense of, like self mm-hmm. you know what i'm trying to say like yeah self sufficiency like almost like validate like independence independence yeah. yeah i forgot the word independence yeah but just like some sort of small sense of like independence mm-hmm. to like have a wage of their own yeah when it takes so much to get to it yeah that like i can see why so many women were terrified that if we make a fuss about these nice jobs now, they're not going to give us any more nice jobs, not just in the radium world, but like at all. They're going to think that we can't handle the work. We're going to think that, you know, and it's, it is infuriating, like nowhere near this scale, but I was working an event this weekend and I have proven time and time again that I'm stronger than just about anyone Mm -hmm. in our organization. Like I've like straight up, I'll just carry file cabinets on my shoulders. Like I'll like, I'll like, Mm -hmm. I'll prove it that I can lift more than most of the guys that, come in and volunteer with us like i'm pretty strong yeah and it pissed me off because i have made a concerted effort to like make sure that like i'm seen that way that i'm not like a dainty because i know that when i dress up when i you know wear my corset that's Mm -hmm. what a lot of people remember and i don't want to be just that one thing and it pisses me off to no end because this weekend they were like lifting stuff and i was like oh i got it and there's two like 60 70 year old men lifting this one thing Mm -hmm. i know i could lift that with one hand and they're like, oh, no, don't worry about it, sweetheart. We'll mm-hmm. get it. And they wouldn't let me help. Like, they vehemently would not let me help them lift it. And it made me which so is, mad. Which is really interesting because I'm my body is very different than yours. Mm-hmm. And I was lifting, lifting stuff yesterday and no one bat an eye. Mm-hmm. No one said anything. And that's why, like... It pisses me off because I wear heels a lot. I wear my corsets. I wear my cute little dresses. And I've worked so hard to overcome that stereotype. Yeah. Because the way you present is not the way that you always... What was I wearing yesterday? I'm just... Your docks, maybe? <laughs> no, I was wearing Vans, my black jeans. Yeah. Well, I mean, the ladies who work with me a so, lot... So, like, not, like, super dressy, but, like, not street clothes. Yeah. Well, the ladies you know? who work with me a lot, no. Like, they, they've applauded me before. They're like she doesn't stop she'll carry boxes up and down the stairs she'll carry christmas trees up and down Mm -hmm. these stairs and i'm like yeah i will but it's like no matter how hard i push to like be able to to do both and like validate myself in the workplace there's always going to people be people who see me and make an assumption yeah and the fact that like it pisses me off this this pisses me off but the fact that women were having to go through so much just just so they can maybe have a job yeah 
And I see. And a job that they their hair wouldn't get caught in machines and yeah. kill them. Yeah. They wouldn't fall in. They were skirts that they're required to wear wouldn't get caught in machinery. Or and doors that got in. locked that weren't supposed to be locked. and Because they're thieves and they'll steal the corsets and shirtwaists they're mm-hmm. making. Like, there's so much. And, I, and it makes me so mad because, like, these women needed support from their own community. Mm-hmm. But I see why people were so scared to I think, speak out. Yeah. I think a big factor was probably the we don't want to believe it's true Mm -hmm. but i also think a big factor was like don't take our jobs from us yeah because we don't get to have them very Mm -hmm. often and it happens again in world war ii when Mm -hmm. the men come back from war and the women are like we worked we worked for these jobs same jobs that you did like give it like stop taking them away from us yeah you're back we didn't step in just while you were gone we want this yeah yeah it's it's so infuriating because a lot of the time women have to get in history, we see women get taken advantage of to make that next step, mm-hmm. and it should never have happened. Yeah, yeah. And it's especially prominent in minority women who still suffer from poorer, on average, poorer working conditions, lesser pay, mm-hmm. and no women, no person should be dealing with discrimination in the workplace anymore. Yeah, it's so horrible. Yeah, and as the community around them wouldn't rally with them, they had to rely on like international. Mm. news outlets and radio and paper which is hard because usrc has so much pull that it's mm. hard not to get drowned out in these international outlets and papers yeah. and stuff and they're fighting just to be heard yeah and um we'll get into that i, I guess that's as good a place as any to stop because n- i know it hasn't been super long but that means that i can do the whole legal proceedings yeah. next week sometimes there's a natural break yeah it might not be in, it's right not in exactly between, halfway but yeah it's, yeah next week will be a little bit longer for me mm-hmm. but um we'll start with the radium company's um task force evaluation which they then realized it didn't line up with what they wanted and so they disregarded it and hired some other people to say what they did want. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And we'll yep. get into more of that and the legal proceedings and the permanent changes that it made for the workforce and for workplace standards. Well, I definitely see why you got so caught up in that because yeah. that is that is quite yeah. quite a story. It's and it's very frustrating and mm-hmm. it's very there's a lot of different like parts of it that make yeah. it a really fascinating story well and the problem is it's so it's such a human story mm-hmm. like there's so many women that deserve to be individually remembered because yeah they all went through such horrific things like i cannot imagine mm-hmm. going through that yeah and oh, i can't even hmm. yeah yeah so yeah well thanks god that was i mean i don't want to say Morbidly, that was good yeah but it was a well told well told tale well i'm excited to finish out the rest of it next week yeah, i'm excited Thank to you. hear so you'll everyone will have to tune back in yeah for cats part one and then kaylee's do you know what you're doing next week yet um i was going to do something that i've promised for a while but my next week is going to be really really busy and i want to make sure that i do that have time to do that topic justice that's valid so i might move some things around but i will say it will have something to do with asian american and pacific islander because may is asian american and pacific islander month and that is when well this episode will technically come out in may but it's a Mm -hmm. it's a five it's a yeah. fiber so i'm gonna have to push episode. mine off because so but yeah it'll be a two-parter but, but that's okay yeah so. so hopefully we didn't gross you out too much or scare you away with our talk of poison Ooh, scary please don't poison anyone no please don't um please don't <laughs> yeah and please please don't tell anyone that i told you to poison someone because i didn't i did not 
I, I watched to make sure that we didn't make any jokes that were too terrible. Yep. Um, but yeah. <laughs> I do rarely, seldomly know when to limit myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you do want to make any jokes or tell us anything that you would like to hear, especially since we have a Heritage Month coming up and sometimes people from um all over the oh i'm literally knocking over my mic i'm so sorry yeah, it's like, what's um, going on over there sometimes other people have the coolest stories that we don't we already don't know no so yeah. tweet at us at t-i-n-a-h-l podcast or if i mean i don't what could we what could you talk to us about this week i how your day was i want to hear yeah. all about your day please email us at this is not history lecture at gmail.com um yeah in the meantime Stay safe, stay healthy. Probably don't ingest any foreign chemicals. Yes, and every review that you leave for us on Apple Podcasts is super helpful. And every review you leave is another reminder for me to actually report possible arsenic dyes to my boss so that we can test them. There you go. Yeah. In the meantime. (laughs) In the meantime, this has been a reminder. That this is not. A history. Lecture. Lecture. Bye. Bye.